As I mentioned last Sunday, and you might have saw the emails put out this week, today's service is going to look a little different. Uh, I'm going to still preach a sermon. It's going to be a little shorter for a reason. Don't just think I ran out of things to say. Um, but at the end of, of this, we're going to sing one more song, and then I'm going to open it up to sharing our testimonies. As we've been going through these past 21 days, or I guess we're really on day 18 or 19 of these 21 days of prayer, I thought it would be really powerful, really encouraging, and just joyful to hear how the Lord has been working in your lives, specifically in these 21 days, if maybe he's, he's led you to, to meditate on a passage of Scripture, or maybe there's a praise or something that prayer was answered. So start thinking now. We're going to pass around the handheld. So we'll, we'll look at Psalm 100. If you're still at the Scripture reading, Psalm 100 is where we'll be for a few more minutes. And then we'll sing, and then we'll do a testimonial time. So, as many of you know, I worked at Camp Spofford in New Hampshire. That's where I met my wife, Stephanie. And I joined and I worked at the camp because I loved youth ministry in college, but I wanted a different taste of ministry. It's one thing to work in a church, to see kids once or twice a week for an hour, but it's another thing to live and to be with kids 24-7. If any of them get on your nerves, guess what? They're there with you the whole time. You can't escape them. So it was a little bit different of a ministry, and um, as I got to camp, my expectations were really high. I was really excited for God to use me to work in teenagers' lives, to share the gospel, to minister, to maybe counsel them, to walk them through the gospel. And little did I know, my high expectations led to high disappointment. So, out of the eight weeks, the first two weeks were job training where you would go and you'd learn how to do your job. And for counselors, we had to learn how to sing and dance. Or not dance, maybe hand motions. Um, if you look at me, I'm not much of a dancer, but I can do a little claps and, and some hand motions. We learned how to teach and, and facilitate and lead games and activities for over 100 campers. We learned how to maybe structure devotions, and, and we learned the schedule. And then the first week of camp happened, and I was so excited, but there was a little disappointment. It was junior week. The first two weeks of camp were junior week, meaning you had 8-year-olds and 12-year-olds that whole week. And I was like, all right, maybe God will give me the 12-year-olds. They're, they're close to teenagers, but they're not quite there yet. I got 8-year-olds. And I knew nothing of 8-year-olds. I'd wake up at 7.30. I'd be like, guys, we've got to go to breakfast. Come on, get your shoes on, get your shoes on. And the kids would just be humming. <laughs> I don't know where my shoe is. Like, we're in one, sing- like a, one cabin. There's one room. Where, how did your shoe disappear? Or you just have them, hmm, no, no care, hmm, 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 just looking around, and they go outside, look at the trees. I'm like, Lord, give me patience. The first week, I had an eight-year-old who liked to throw rocks at people. He thought it was fun. He threw rocks at me. I told the camp director. The camp director came over. He threw a rock at him. I'm like, Lord, you're, you're teaching me patience. My patience is running thin. The second week of camp, eight to twelve-year-olds. I got the eight-year-olds. I'm like God. What's going on here? What are you doing? The third week of camp was, was teen week. I'm like, yes, teen week. This is it. This is it. I got the 12-year-olds. Not quite the teens. And then even some 10-year-olds. I'm like, how do you sneak through the system? How do I still have 10-year-olds during teen week? And during that time, it was about the, the fourth or fifth week of camp, before Stephanie and I were dating, we were just friends, she could just tell I was, I was complaining a lot. And she came up to me, and she just kind of took me aside and said, David, 
stop complaining. I'm, I'm, this is my words. I'm paraphrasing. Maybe, maybe it was this blunt. She said, God has you with those eight-year-olds for a reason, right? Instead of complaining about it, you're here. Make the best use of it, right? If God has you with those eight-year-olds, if he has you with the 10- and 12-year-olds during teen week, go with it. God knows better than you. And I started to wake up early in the mornings, about 6.30, 6 o'clock, to go to the beach and have some private devotional times, and I wanted to read some psalms. So I'd go through the book of Psalm, and I would journal, and I'd write some of my thoughts down. As I read, David say, you know, why is my soul downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? I'm like, this is me. My soul is downcast. I'm depressed. As he writes, my enemies are around me. I'm like, this is it. The eight-year-olds are around me. My enemies are here. I'm, 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 I'm only half joking. But then I came across Psalm 100, and it convicted me. It cut me deep to the heart. So I want to take a, a, some time this morning. We'll go line by line, verse by verse. There's not a lot I want to say because God's Word says it perfectly. But it starts off by saying what? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I'm a, it doesn't say who's the author. I'm going to assume it's, it's King David. It's the only psalm that has the title of a psalm of thanksgiving or a psalm of giving thanks. I thought that was interesting. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, what? All the earth. Everyone is commanded to joyfully make a noise to the Lord. And as you study that phrase, joyful noise, that is a phrase that's used as when a king is walking down your street. When the king is walking down past you, you let out a victorious shout of of adoration, of praise, of glory. Glory to the king. Long live the king. And the psalmist is saying, that's the noise, that's the shout we should be giving to the Lord. Make a joyful, victorious, adoration shout to God, all the earth. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. It's not enough to just serve the Lord, but it matters where our heart is. Right? If I, I was looking back at camp, and I was like, well, at least I'm here. And I'm like, yeah, come on, guys, we're going to go to lunch now. Come on. At least we're here. No, my heart was far from being glad. I was serving out of obligation and duty rather than joy. And it just got me thinking as, as New Village Church, as, as a deacon board, as our elder board, as, as various ministry leaders, this verse is important to us. Serve the Lord with gladness. It's not enough to just come to church to serve. We are commanded to do that, and we should be doing that. But what? Our heart matters. Our heart matters. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence, how? With singing. With singing. God delights. He loves to hear our songs. I shared a few weeks ago, very rarely, if not never, will you ever hear someone who's mad or upset sing. Right? Usually singing is the overflow of what? A joyful heart. When I go home and see Naya, I make up random songs. My heart's full and glad. Stephanie and I, we, we sing more now than ever. And if we have that boldness and that joy and love to sing to our newborn baby, how much more should it be for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Come into His presence with singing. If you don't like singing, I don't know if you're going to enjoy heaven. It's full of it. It's full of it. And and know this. Make a what? Joyful noise. Not an in-tune noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise. If your heart is there, right? It's not enough to just sing. I could have the voice of an angel. If my heart is far from God, 
It's not pleasing to him. It's about our heart. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And if you're not a great singer, the louder you sing, the louder people around you will sing. So it's a win-win. We lift our voices joyfully to the Lord. Let's continue here. Verse 3. Know the Lord that he is God. And let me stop right here. In your Bible, it might have verses 1 and 2 indented, and then verse 3 is a separate little paragraph. Verse 4 is a separate paragraph. Verse 5 is another little separate line. There's this formula when you work through this psalm. The first two verses, what we just went over, it tells you how to worship, how we should be worshiping, how to really make a worship that God delights in. This next section, verse 3, is why we worship God. So the how and the why. Verse 4 is going to say how again, and then verse 5 is going to end with why. So how do we worship? Why do we worship? How do we worship? Why do we worship? Know that the Lord, he is God. It starts with knowing the Lord. We're, we're commanded to have mindful praise, not just emptiness, not just praising God because like a robot, but actually thinking and dwelling about God. And the author saying here, know that Yahweh, know that the Lord of Israel is the true God. I would say this, know that you are not God and that God is God. Right? I think that's the foundation for where worship begins. It begins with knowing who God is. The more you know God, the more you know his word, the more you delight in his word, I believe the deeper and more joyful and the more you will want to praise him because you know who he is. You know his love, you know his character, you know his grace, you know his mercies. You know who God is. The next line says, It is he who has made us, we are his. That God is. Yahweh is God. He's the creator of all, and we belong to him. The next line, we are his people. Again, ownership. We belong to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. A few weeks ago, when we looked at I am the good shepherd from Jesus, we learned that Israel attributed that God was their shepherd, and they were his sheep. And as we looked at Jesus, we saw comforting truths. The love of a shepherd to his sheep that the sheep belong to him, not to abuse, not to use as he desires, but what? To love them, to care for them, to protect them with giving up even their lives at times. So we see here, why do we worship God? Because he's God. Why do we worship him? Because he's the creator of all and we belong to him. He's redeemed us. Right? We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. If you are in Christ, you've been adopted as sons and daughters to God. Praise God. We belong to Him, and He loves us perfectly. Charles Spurgeon says this about Psalm 100. Our songs require none of the inventions of fiction, but the bare facts are enough. The simple narration of the mercies of the Lord is more astonishing than the predictions of imaginations. We don't have to make up stories and fairy tales about God. We read his word and what's in here and what he's revealed about himself is enough and better than what we could ever imagine. We don't make up things about God to praise him for. We praise him for his mercies that are revealed in his word. Now we get to verse 4, back to how do we worship the Lord? We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. 
So those words, gates and courts, it refers to temple worship, and there's an imagery of public worship. So yes, as Christians, we are called to worship the Lord privately, like doing devotions by ourselves, meditating, praying to Him, but we're also commanded in Scripture to what? Corporately come together alongside believers to worship the Lord. He's saying, when you come into the temple, you enter the gate of the temple with what? Thanksgiving. You enter His court, the court of the temple, with praise. You, you come to church, you come to service with a mind that's set on worshiping the Lord. You set aside, and this is easier than it sounds, but you set aside the distractions. You set aside, maybe it was the worst week you've ever had. You lay that before you come in and worship the Lord. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Spurgeon again says, as long as we are receivers of mercy, we are to be givers of thanks. So maybe the Lord has not blessed you financially, has not blessed you with health. Maybe you are really struggling. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of darkness right now. Spurgeon's saying the fact that we have mercy from God, that each day is a gift from the Lord, that's enough to stir our hearts to give Him thanks. It's not based on the material blessings we have, the financial, our health. We praise God based on who He is and His amazing grace and His amazing love. We look to the cross. We remember what Jesus has done for us. Even when we don't think we are blessed, the Bible says we're blessed beyond measure. That our our cup overflows because of Jesus' love for us. Now we get to verse 5. Why do we worship, right? How we worship, why we worship. How we worship, why we worship. For the Lord is good. Just think about that for a second. The Lord is good. Do you believe that? That means the Lord God's love is good. His mercy is good. His grace is good. His judgment is good. His wrath is good. Do you believe the Lord is good? It says His steadfast love endures forever. Another translation might say His mercy endures forever. It's the image of if you have a pitcher of water in a cup, as I mentioned, you pour the water over the cup and the cup overflows and it never runs out. The love, the steadfast love, the mercies of God, we can never exhaust them. Praise God because if that was the case, we'd all be in trouble. They never run out. His faithfulness, some translations say his truthfulness, his word endures or is faithful to all generations. What does that mean? The promises we read in here, what God has revealed about himself and what he said, he doesn't go back on those promises. He didn't just make it up one day and was like, you know, eh, today I'm not feeling the same way. Maybe I'll be a bad God today. No. Right? Or, or maybe, yeah, maybe I don't want to give you salvation or eternal life. I, I, I go back on that promise. No. His faithfulness, his word is faithful to all generations, both past and present. So how are we supposed to worship the Lord? With joyfulness, with gladness, with singing, with blessing Him, by publicly coming together as a church and and worshiping Him. And why do we do it? Because He's God. He's our Creator. We belong to Him. We were bought with a price. He's our shepherd. We're His sheep. The fact that He is good, the fact that His love never runs out, 
and that his truth never compromises is enough to stir us up to make us want to worship him. And I'll close with this. I watched a a video from John Piper as he's going through Psalm 100. And he said, in this psalm, you really have the foundation for Christian living. And I was like, okay, that sounds really good, but what does that mean? He said, your foundation starts on knowledge of God. When you know who God is, that's a good place to be. You know God, that's a great place to start as a Christian. Know about him. And your knowledge of God is then going to lead you to the next sort of pillar. And that next pillar is joyful affections or, or feelings or emotions, right? When you know what God has done, when you know his love, and when you experience it, it's going to stir up in your heart as joy, as, as wanting to give him praise. And then the next step, a joyful heart overflows out into joyful living. So you have knowing who God is, then you have your emotional love and, and reverence and fear of the Lord, which then stirs up into what? Actions. Serving each other, serving the Lord, singing. All of these things for joyful living. And my encouragement is this. It's, it's been a long time since we haven't had a pastor. And I don't know if, if, if you're like me, and I'm going to be very honest, it's, it's easy to get discouraged and burnt out. It's easy to say, I guess I'll come to church. I guess I'll come to the Easter egg hunt. I guess I'll come to the sunrise service, even if it's a little too early. I guess I have to set five alarms. And and I'll be there, but I'm not going to be happy about it. It's easy to get to that state. But this psalm is a reminder. What? Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Satan loves to take the joy that God gives us. And he, he loves to make you doubt God's joy, but also God's grace for you. And, and my encouragement is this, don't give up, right? A lot of times I feel like I'm in a spiritual funk and I never want to do anything, and it starts with my own spiritualness. It starts with, have I opened up the Word today? Have I praised God and thanked Him that I have eternal life in Jesus Christ? That I was bought with a price? Right? Sometimes it starts with just remembering who God is, and that's why I, sang, I picked that song, the Jude Doxology. It talks about remembering all that God has done for the Israelites as Jude's writing his letter to the Christian church. So for us as Christians, even if you don't feel like it, it's easy to feel that way, but take a moment, reflect on what God has done for you, and let that joy stem and start in your heart and overflow out into service for others, for, for worshiping the Lord together, for serving Him at the church. Let's pray. God, I just want to come before you and I don't know if this is true for anybody else, but I want to ask for just forgiveness. It's easy to, to go through the motions. It's easy to, to remember the cross and just say, oh, that's a nice story. It's easy to just take for granted the grace that we have. But God, I ask forgiveness and I pray, Lord, that you can use Psalm 100, your word, as an encouragement, as conviction in our hearts, to serve you with gladness, to actually know who you are, to know your goodness, to know that you are our God and that we belong to you. So God, I just pray for our church. I pray for these last 21 days of prayer that we've been in. Lord, I just pray that 
we can continue these last couple of days and end strong. Lord, I pray that we can continue this past 21 days and make this a habit for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you comfort those who need comforting this week. Lord, that you convict those who need conviction. Lord, I pray that you give us the joy if we're lacking joy. Jesus, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for buying us, for purchasing us with a price of your life on the cross. We thank you for your amazing grace that we can never exhaust, that we can never come to the end of, for your amazing love and mercies that are new each day. Every day is a gift from you. Jesus, we love you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen.